0: Bible once more, and shortly after we'll hear it explained. Uh, So the second Bible reading is James chapter 1, verses 1 until 18. Uh, If you would like to follow with the church Bibles found in front of you, then you can find that on page 1266. Otherwise, you can follow along on the projection just behind me. So James chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. James, a servant of God, and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to him but when he asks he must believe and not doubt because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind that man should not think he will receive anything from the lord he is a double-minded man unstable in all he does the brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. It blossom, its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. He does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created.
1: It's- Really good that you are all here this week, and and many friends as well. So glad that you can join us. And it's a wonderful opportunity each week where we actually get to spend some time together, where we actually get to reflect on the bigger questions of life, the deeper meaning of life. Often in life, it gets so skid, so busy, you scatter over the surface. But that's that time now where we've heard the Bible reading, but now we're going to spend some time reflecting on that. And as Christians, we believe that God continues to speak to us uh, through the Bible, through the Word. And so if you are new here and you're not familiar with what we do, uh, what we normally do each week is that we have the Bible reading and now we try to understand it. We try to make sense of what does it mean for us today. And so let me do encourage you, if you have access to a pew Bible in front of you somewhere, open up to James chapter 1 and we'll work our way through those verses uh, together and we'll see what God will teach us. So if you need help, ask those around you, uh, but feel free to do that. I'm going to pray again and and then we'll have a look at this passage. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we all come from different walks of life, with different worries and burdens. But we pray, Lord, that you'll be speaking to us this evening. Help us see what your word means to us today, how it's relevant, how we must respond in light of it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like uh, you to help me out. Help me complete this sentence. What does not kill me makes me stronger that's right what does not kill me makes me stronger now what do you think about that is it true what doesn't kill me makes me stronger or does it just makes me make me weaker make me more vulnerable is it just cliche is it just trite at the school of heart knocks what happens the school of heart knocks just knocks you about until eventually it knocks you down and out but of course it wasn't a Christian who coined that phrase, it was a German philosopher, Nietzsche. What does not kill me makes me stronger. And even tonight we've heard of Cindy's story, the many knocks in life. But how are we meant to think about all the trials, all the
0: difficulties,
1: all that we experience in life? How are we meant to think about all of those things as Christians? Those who believe that there is a God. There is God who is all-powerful who made us, whom we will be accountable to, if there is a God. How are we meant to understand life with all that we experience? I mean, we've heard of Cindy's story this evening and some of the stuff she experienced. Can you imagine that? So traumatic. A 13-year-old girl having to give CPR to her father. And so how are we as Christians meant to think about all the knocks, all the things that do not kill us just yet, but they hurt. They bring so much pain and heartache. Even just this past week in my role as a pastor, as a minister here, in, I've had a bit over a dozen meetings this past week, and, and the feelings and experience of the people I've met up with were worry, anxiety, despair, feeling traumatised, emotions all over the place, anger distress, disappointment, are all those feelings and experiences meant to make us stronger? So what do you think? Or is it just all wishful thinking? You know, just trying to make ourselves feel better. Mistaken belief, self-deception, false hope. And so what do you think? Well, the passage we're looking at today is so relevant for us all especially on this night when we heard what Cindy shared. How are we meant to think as Christians in all that we experience in life? What Nitschke said, in fact, what we see in this passage does not go far enough. James, the author of this passage, he was the half-brother of Jesus Christ. He speaks and he recognises that it doesn't just make you stronger, it does far more than that. it it makes you mature the trials of life in a sense completes you and more than that he goes on to even say if you want to be blessed by God you'll be tested in the trials of life and so I suspect what will be necessary for all of us this evening is to in fact reflect on your life at this time your station of life the experiences that you're experiencing now the responsibilities that you have to bear, the emotions that you're feeling, but to see it from God's perspective. And and if you're not yet a Christian, it's a wonderful night for you to be at because you get to see how Christians are meant to understand their trials, understand the difficulties that they experience in life. And so first here in this passage, we see to mature is to endure. You want to mature and grow as a person, as a Christian, then you have to endure. And we have to feel the weight of what what James says here because what he goes on to say is just so extraordinary. It's it's almost unbelievable, almost outrageous. Have a look at verse 2 with me. If you have your Bibles open to James 1. Verse 2, he goes on to say, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, When you face trials of many kinds. Now, notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, you know, when you suffer and you feel down and out, don't just consider it as something that you'll get over with in time. Don't just uh, consider it as, as something that's just part of life, so bear with it, suck it up, too bad. But he goes on to say, consider it pure joy. I mean, how do you do that? You heard the story of Sydney. How do you consider the, the difficult experiences of life and think pure joy? I mean, think about your own experience at the moment. Can you look at that and say pure joy? I mean, was James here really serious in what he was saying? Those of us who feel vulnerable and weak, rejected and isolated and to think, pure joy how is that at all possible those of us who are sick those of us who are chronically ill and there are many who have been ill for years how can you look at that experience and say pure joy or the injustices we might have experienced how do you look at that and say pure joy I mean did James here make a mistake what is he talking about but you see what James is saying here He is saying that in the sovereignty of God, that is, the God who is there, the God who made everything, the God who is in control in his divine mind and in his good purposes for those who love him, that there are no accidents in life, that nothing is meaningless. But you see, you can only believe that if you believe that there is a God. If you believe that there is no God at all, then pretty much everything is an accident. Whatever happens to you, it's good luck or bad luck, and it's just too bad. But if there is a God, as this passage says, the one true God who is in control, then you can consider it pure joy because something is happening deep inside. And we go on to see he's transforming us inside. He's strengthening us inside, building, maturing us. So that the pain and suffering we might experience, of course, we don't like it, but God is accomplishing something through it and something good. So, to mature is to endure. Just like strength training, endurance training, how do you get stronger and fitter? Do you continue to endure all those sweaty exercises, the cardio. As a father, my kids, we send them to swimming lessons. They don't like it very much at all. They have to do laps. But over the years, they've been doing more and more laps, but they still hate it. Freestyle, backstroke, breaststroke, butterfly for our older kids. I mean, over the many years, what has happened? I've used up a lot of money. That's what's happened. But what has also happened is that they've built endurance without even them knowing. They've built strength said that now they all swim better than I do. I just pretend to swim. They're better swimmers than me. And it's the same with your exercises, and F45 or 52, whatever it is. (laughs) But you see, the trials of life works like that. But it's not our physical muscles. They are our spiritual muscles, our character that it is building. And so you see this, verses 3 to 4, have a look. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything which means you are incomplete as a person if you are yet to endure testings and trials you are incomplete so to mature is to endure all the trials of life and you see that around us don't you for those who've been coming along to this church you you see it in our fellowship from people we know. I mean, we heard it tonight from Cindy's example, how much she has grown even just over the last year she's been with us. Not physical muscles, I mean, that's, that's there for sure, but spiritual muscles. I mean, for her to, be able to persevere in her own trials, she has grown. And don't you think, for those who have been here for a while, those of us who have a vitality of life, a robustness of faith, a depth and strength of character. Who are they? They are those who have suffered much, those who have been broken by God. There's this story of Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was a Welsh preacher. He was part of a group of clergy interviewing a candidate for an important ministry role. And there was this young man, very impressive. Everyone liked him and thought he's the one. He's intelligent, articulate. But it was Lord Jones or one of the other senior clergy who pointed out, not that young man. Why? He's impressive. A young chap. Not that young man because he has not yet been broken by God. He said, when we come to the end of ourselves, as even in, in Cindy's experience, then we learn to lean and depend on God. He breaks us down before he makes us whole. As American preacher Tozer, he once said, it is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. You see, it's how God accomplishes the deeper work in our character. How? Through the trials of life. And when you have that perspective on life, it changes you it changes how you think about your your trial your experience your feelings so that even in the midst of tears and sorrow you can count it pure joy because God is doing something inside but of course in the midst of trials and pain it's not easy to think that way it gets foggy our minds are all cloudy the outlook is all bleak The heart is aching, the tears are flowing, the pit is pitch black and the emotions are all over the place. At a time like that, what do you need? You need wisdom that comes from God. You need wisdom that comes from God to make sense of it all. And so particularly in those dark times, what do you do? You cry out, God, grant me wisdom. I cannot see anything, it's all cloudy. it's all messy, nothing makes sense. Help me now, grant me wisdom. And that's what James, he goes on to say, that's what you do when you're suffering. Verse 5, have a look. If any of you lack wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. Now, isn't that so true? If you... Live your fair share of trials and suffering and turn to God for wisdom. Isn't that so true that God does grant wisdom? He just in his time and way brings clarity. There was a season that Yvonne and myself, it was a dark time, a very stressful, bleak season of life. It was keeping me up at night. And so what do we do then? Well, we did this. We turned to God. God, help us now, we beg of you. Grant us wisdom and clarity. We just can't see anything. And so we we were leaning on God, meditating on the Psalms, and they were so helpful. But wisdom from God also came from fellow Christians. And there was one fellow, older, wiser brother, who was perceptive of our season of life. We try to keep it to ourselves, not let anyone know, but he was perceptive and he wrote to me and he said, if it feels like the crucifixion now the the Christian story is that the resurrection will happen soon I mean God grants wisdom he brought clarity at that moment and how encouraging that was and so in the midst of trials what do you do turn to God for wisdom so that you can see that I can still consider this pure joy And then James goes on, when you ask, don't doubt, don't hedge your bets, don't ask God and think about relying on something else. It will be silly, for example, to go to the horoscopes or go to any other worldly wisdom and at the same time pray. You're hedging your bets. James says, don't doubt. Look at verses 6 to 8. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind, that man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. How do you mature? You have to endure. And if I can't make sense of it, I seek God for wisdom. And now what James does is he shows how that wisdom is applied in life. He shows how it's applied in the next few verses. On first reading, it might sound like, James just went off track and started talking about the rich and the poor. What is he getting on there about? But what he was doing was showing how it looks like to have wisdom in the midst of trials. And so for the poor person, the poor person in humble circumstances, what are the particular trials for the poor person? Well, for someone who does not have much, they're perhaps looked down upon, despised, oppressed perhaps even abused they don't get to enjoy the luxuries of life and perhaps as they see what others have they might get bitter envious jealous they are the trials for a poor person so how does wisdom from god help what perspective does that give well the poor are to remember their high position in the gospel Their high position in the gospel. You might not have anything now, poor man, but it is okay because you have inherited eternal life. You've got life beyond the grave. You've got heaven. You've got the kingdom of God. You've got a high position. Don't worry about this world, what you have not have. You've got a high position in the gospel. Look at verse 9. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position. And say so in your trial as a poor person, remember your gospel position. But the rich person, the one who has much in this life, what are their particular trials in life? I mean, you might think a uh, rich person, they don't have any trials, but surely they do, and they do. Perhaps for a rich person, their trial might be seeking approval from the peers, from the world, the temptation to to see my worth my identity tied to my wealth so that the more wealth I have the worthy I feel and that is depressing because when you lose it all you lose your identity or the ease of depending on wealth for security for ultimate security but how does wisdom from God help then what perspective does God give for the rich person well they are also to remember their gospel position because the gospel humbles you it brings you down it shows that you are spiritually bankrupt you do not deserve anything at all the gospel brings you that, shows you that no amount of wealth you have will make you any closer to God but a low humble dependence upon God that is what saves you and so that's why he says verses 10 to 11 But the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. And so for the rich person, the one who has much, even if I lose all my wealth, and that's the trial I face, I take pride in my gospel position, in my humble dependence upon God because that is what saves and I can still count that a joy. So how do you mature? You endure all the trials of life. And now to be blessed, to be blessed by God Almighty that God would show his favour upon us. How? It is to be tested by God. Now that might sound so strange, doesn't it? To be blessed means to be tested. Martin Luther, the, the reformer, he was once asked, why does God let bad things happen to good people? And do you know how he answered? To bless them. Isn't that strange? A bit ironic? But it wouldn't be too soon to say what Cindy has already experienced in her sharing. Enduring the struggle she has, she's also experienced the blessing of God. For now what does she have? Eternal life, forgiveness of sins. The goal for all Christians and that is the crown of life. That's what we go on to see. Look at verse 12 now. Blessed is the man who perseveres on the trial because he has stood, when he has stood the test, he'll receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And so what this is saying is, we who do believe in God, the trials we experience in life are meant to be testings from God. And we can look to the example of Jesus himself. I mean, what happened to Jesus? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. Our Saviour suffered. Our Saviour suffered too so that now whatever you might be experiencing in life it's that time to reflect what you might be bearing what you might have to be carrying at the moment whatever God has given you at this time it is a test to refine your faith to purify your faith so you can count it a joy but then of course not everyone thinks that way you know when we're struggling when times are tough when the hardship is it's going, and it's so easy at that point just to blame God. This is God's fault. I am so hurting in my heart now because it is all God's fault. God's to blame. God is tempting me. God is wanting me to fail. And I wonder whether any of us here this evening feels that way about God. Well, that is what precisely James speaks against now. Look at verse 13 when tempted no one should say God is tempting me for God cannot be tempted by evil nor does he tempt anyone that is saying God is not in the business of tempting anyone God doesn't get tempted he is is not prone to it at all so how dare anyone say that God is tempting me he only works for our good now it's worth noticing here That in the Greek, the original language, the word for testing in verse 12 and the word for tempting in verse 13, it's in fact the very same word. They're sort of like two sides of the same coin. And so it can be the same event, the same trial, but it can be seen two ways. It can be testing for good or do I fall and get tempted to do evil. It's a bit like an exam. What happens when you get an exam and you go to an exam? You can either pass it or you fail it. It's the same trial. But if you fail it, who do you blame? It's the exam's fault. It's the lecturer's fault. You can't do that. You've got yourself to blame. And that's what James goes on to say. Where does temptation come from, if not from God? Well, James is showing us here that we are our own worst enemies. It is our own heart that gets baited. It's own our own heart that desires whatever we're tempted by. And when we are trapped, it is a dead end. And so we see verses 14 and 15. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Makes you think, doesn't it? it? You shouldn't always trust your heart. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. We only have ourselves to blame. Billy Graham, many of you would, have, would remember him, that great American evangelist. He once said this when someone asked him, someone asked me recently if I didn't think God was unfair. Allow me to have Parkinson's and other medical problems when I have tried to serve him faithfully. And he did. He preached to over 200 million people in his lifetime. I replied that I did not see it that way at all. Suffering is part of the human condition and it comes to us all. The key is how we react to it, either turning away from God in anger and bitterness or growing closer to him in trust and confidence. One and the same trial. Test it for our good or tempt it for our evil. We decide. But God does not tempt. And that's because finally we see God is always good, always good, nothing but good. His intentions are good. His gifts are good. Yet it is so easy to blame God, to be deceived into thinking God means me harm. And so James warns us, look at verses 16 and 17. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. The the only thing in the entire universe that will not and does not change is God and his goodness. Shadows will shift. Our planet will continue to rotate. The universe its not staying still. It's somewhat expanding. Whatever it's doing, the only thing that will remain constant is God and he is always good, perfectly good. In my illness, I can always trust God is still good. In my sorrows, God remains good. In my despair, God remains good. In depression, God remains good. Even in tears, God remains good, so good that his desire is that we will be saved be with him for all eternity Receive the crown of life and that's what he says in our last verse have a look verse 18 he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that is the good news of the gospel that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created so how are we blessed when we are tested by God so what do you think What doesn't kill me makes me stronger. What we see from this passage is in fact true for the Christian but far more than that because to mature is to endure, to be blessed is to be tested. There's no other way about it and it is God's way through all the experiences of life like this master artisan, chiseling, reshaping, remoulding. And when that happens in life, it's never comfortable, never pain free. Imagine someone taking a chisel to your body. It is going to hurt. But what God is doing is He's reshaping our lives into a masterpiece prepared for heaven. And so, with that perspective, how do you feel about your own experiences at the moment? How do you feel about all the things you're feeling at the moment? You see, the temptation is always there. In suffering, when we are going through a difficult time to become self-absorbed, like my problem is the biggest problem in the world, and to allow it to dominate your life, to darken your outlook, and I see this more often than I like. In suffering, we can become so self-absorbed, we isolate ourselves, we withdraw from fellowship, we get stuck in a rut, but you need to see your life and trial from God's perspective. Because if you think about those heroes of the Bible, how did they become heroes? How did they become greats? They all suffered. Take, for example, our first reading, Jacob. He wrestled with God. He wanted to be blessed by God. God bless me. And what did God do? God didn't just simply bless him. God touched his hip socket and for the rest of his life he had to limp. But, but he was speaking something more about his limp. When he had to limp it meant that he had to continually lean on God. It was Martin Lloyd-Jones again. In reflecting on Jacob he asked, How do you know you have met with God? You limp which means you've been humbled by God, broken by God. Come to the end of yourself. You understand and see the frailty of your life, the heinous, the seriousness, the depravity of your sin, which means you lean on God and you limp for the rest of your life. Martin Lloyd-Jones here, he said, Those who have truly met God in Christ come away with a limp. And that's why those Christians around us, those who have the vitality of life and joy, a robustness of faith, I will persevere despite the difficulties. They limp. They dance, but they also limp. And another classic example is the Apostle Paul. Remember his story? He had this thorn in the flesh. He prayed to God three times. Get it away, your God. He begged, get her away. And what did God do? God would not. To keep him humble, to teach him that God's grace is always sufficient, especially in his weakness, that he goes on limping too. And so what about you? You might be feeling at this time in life stretched beyond what you can bear, burdened beyond what you can carry, troubled, beyond what you can cope anxiety depression a thorn in the flesh whatever that trial might be if you are a Christian it is no accident in the economy of God if you're not a Christian what you got to hear tonight is the perspective that Christians have as they look back on their life they can see the hand of God at work just like how we heard in Cindy's testimony seeing God's hand at work, giving her the hope, even as a 13-year-old girl, fulfilled finally in Christ. And so my call to you is, you want to explore this. How else will you see your trials if there is no God? I'll finish with this. One wise theologian, he said, The truth of the matter is that God is more interested in your holiness than your happiness. God is more interested in your faithfulness than your financial success. God is far more interested in your purity than your power, your endurance than your reputation, your self-control than your sexual prowess, your eternal life rather than your external wealth, your long-term joy than your short term fun your good rather than your desires and that's why you suffer that's why you limp but for the Christian we can count it pure joy let's pray heavenly father We do thank you and praise you for the perspective on life that you do grant us. The perspective on the trials and sadness and sorrows we experience. We thank you Lord for making that clear and we pray Lord that you'll protect us from bitterness and resentment and falling into temptation. But help us to see that these trials are for the building of our faith, strengthening of our character and knowing that in the end there is the crown of life that awaits us who believe in Jesus.